0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Earlier this week, I was at a meeting, um, a workshop, that included people of all different faiths. There were Christians there, and Jews, and Muslims, and a lot of non-denominational or other denominational people. It was a little bit like being at a wild religious fashion show. (laughs) Ministers in suits of all colors, a few women with hats, a few who looked like they might be bishops or the equivalent thereof in their church, and a number of religious women wearing veils, Now, the difference in veils in particular showed a keen fashion sense among the religious. At my table, there were two Muslim women wearing this season's latest hijab, looking holy and smart, just a tad severe. At the next table over were two nuns modeling a more vintage look with the ever-popular two-toned half veil, the smart choice for the modern monastic As my mind clearly wandered from the topic of taxes and churches and religious institutions, I imagine that there might be the possibility of a whole new reality television show, a new religious version of who wore it better. (laughs) Veils are interesting, aren't they? Veils are complicated. We have only to read the news to notice some of their complications. In some cultures, veils make people feel comfortable, like everyone is in their safe place. I've heard a Muslim woman speak of finding unusual freedom under her veil, Because under her veil, there's no worry about makeup. There's no worry about looking a certain way. Um, One can be taken for what one says and what one does. Men don't feel threatened by a woman wearing a veil. Some veils in that way, I suppose, can bring anxiety down. But in other cultures, often in our culture... A veil can cause all kinds of discomfort and questions. They invite us to wonder, what's being hidden? Why the veil? Why not come clean? Why not be honest? Why not show? Veils are sometimes used at weddings, of course. In some cultures, veils are worn when one is grieving. They hide tears and allow for privacy. We all know that veils are sometimes used to cover a great work of art until just the right moment when they're unveiled and we see the new thing and all its beauty. Genies use veils. Belly dancers use veils, so I've heard. And veils find their way into churches, don't they? The veil in religious use is sometimes used for handling holy things and sometimes used for covering things. In the monastic tradition, veils are used for what people call the fasting of the eyes. As one artist has put it, through a fasting of the eyes, sight becomes vision. In churches like this one, we use a veil often to go over the communion chalice. That's what we call that piece of fabric. Later, as we approach Holy Week and the celebration of the Triduum, those three great days that end Holy Week and lead into Easter, um, things will be veiled, crosses will be veiled. An early tradition in Salisbury, England, veiled everything of importance or value. And it was a way of sort of uh, focusing, again, on what was basic, what was most simple. On Monday, Thursday, the Holy Sacrament is sometimes moved from a main place to a side chapel. And the priest or the deacon who carries the Blessed Sacrament out and over often wears what's called a humoral veil. It's from the humorous right here. But it's, it's a veil that, again, reminds that one is approaching the holy One is moving into a place where not everything can be touched so quickly. Special things get veiled, in short. Holy things get veiled. In our first reading, we hear about Moses needing a veil when he talked with God. Whenever Moses would go up to Mount Sinai and speak, his face would become so bright from the proximity with God that it scared the people down below. It scared them so badly, they said, please put that veil on, we can't stand to be around you. Have you ever known anyone who was so holy? They, they radiated that kind of presence, and you almost felt guilty around them. You hoped they would stumble or swear or do something mean. <laughs> they were just too pure, that they were hard to be around. Moses must have been like that. And so he wore this veil to calm people down, to help them feel like they could be around him. In our second reading, St. Paul uses that story about Moses and the veil to talk about what's old and what's new, what's hidden and what has been revealed. St. Paul, of course, uses a veil with a slightly negative tone, as, as many in our culture would, that a veil covers up something and should be uncovered. Paul is especially eloquent, though, in talking about the old and the new. Paul is trying to help people understand that there's a a new freedom and a new movement in the life of Christ that is totally different than that world in which Moses lived and moved. For those who have faith in Christ, the, the life and the love and the spirit of Christ becomes so bright that there's no denying it. One would be tempted to wear a veil around it. And yet that promise of life, that promise of life eternal in Christ, is of such splendor, such brightness, and such hope that the old law is dull in comparison, and the new light is where we all live. That's a part of what's happening in today's gospel as we hear the story about Jesus being transfigured being transfigured as he is there with the very face of God looking at him with Moses and Elijah. Whatever veil there might have existed between God and God's people is lifted. It's done away with. The law is there represented by Moses, but then there's a lifting of the veil as Moses comes into contact with Christ. The prophets represented by Elijah also represent another sort of veil which is lifted up as they, too, come into the presence of Christ. And so Paul talks about this new freedom, this new exposure to God through Christ. It's the freedom of being face to face with God. Paul writes, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love that. We are changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. Veils are lifted and parted as we move closer to God. In some ways, these veils culminate in the great temple veil in the gospel story. That veil that was hung in front of the holiest of holies in the Jerusalem temple. If we jump ahead to Good Friday, St. Luke reminds us that as Jesus was being crucified, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour when the sun's light faded. And just before Jesus gave up his spirit to the Father, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It's an amazing image. It's it's an amazing image because we have a curtain. It's nothing like the one in the Jerusalem temple. That would have been much, much larger. But it reminds us of this tradition in which we stand and pray. The veil of the temple, that curtain of a veil meant to demarcate the great gulf between sinful humanity and a holy God. That veil is torn in two. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, writes about this this tearing of the veil in his little book, Ponder These Things. He writes, because Christ has torn the veil, we can enter with him. We live in the heavenly sanctuary, offering prayer with him. That is what is happening in every Eucharist. The whole history of the world is interrupted by the cry of Jesus from the cross, and all that we try to put between ourselves and God is torn down by God's own utterance. In other words, God tears down whatever curtain of separation might be there. God wants to tear down whatever veil might separate us from God's love. It's a question we'll be looking at as we move into Ash Wednesday, as we move ever closer into Easter. What separates us from God? Usually it's not God's doing, usually it's ours. To what extent have we created a a whole layer of veils between us and God? And to what extent then is God eager and waiting to take them off one by one? like taking off masks after Mardi Gras, getting ready for Lent. What sort of veil might God want to remove? Is it shame or a sense of modesty that keeps us from moving closer to God? Do we give custom and convention too great a place, convincing ourselves that somehow they're not just veils but walls? Sometimes the veils we make might be shiny and they reflect our own glory rather than being transparent and allowing us at least to perceive God. As Archbishop Williams puts it, it is for us to stop and sit still. Let the living word of God tear the fabric of our expectations and our anxieties alike. Tear through the embroidered pictures on the curtain. The weaving of religious veils keeps us not only from God, but it also obstructs our view of the world and of each other and of ourselves. We don't see one another clearly. We don't see the life of God around us clearly. And so God is always and everywhere inviting us, inviting us to come closer, to let down our guard, to relax, to breathe. To allow for the holy, allow for the mystery, allow for the silence. Not so that God can burn us with judgment, but so that God can enfold us in love. In some ways, that's what the whole season of Lent will be about. About God inviting us closer and cleaner and holier. These veils come down in various ways, sometimes through a life of prayer, sometimes through a life of action, but they come down a little bit in worship each time we participate in the sacrament of Holy Communion. In just a few minutes, the veil is lifted. We are invited to drink and eat in the presence of God, to be with God as God is present with us. As we receive the food and drink that God offers us, let us be reminded that God has already opened the veil of separation. God has already opened the veil of death to let life in. God has opened the veil of humanity and allowed us to perceive and know divinity. Though it can be tempting to want to cover ourselves, to hide from God, to hide from all that would be holy. May we have the courage to remove our veils so that we might allow God to change us, to remake us, and to transfigure us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.